Uh, We are going to be in Daniel, of course, Daniel chapter 7 and 8, if you want to open your Bibles to that. Uh, Today, we're actually going to look at Daniel's dreams. It's the first time he's had a dream. He's been the interpreter of several dreams, but today, in these two chapters, God's going to give him dreams or visions of the future. So let's pray and we'll dive into the text. Father, we thank you so much for your word and just the opportunity to, uh, to soak it in. And today, especially, I just pray that you will help me to preach this with clarity, there are some things in here that are hard to understand at first glance, and some of it we, we may not know completely until we are in your presence, but we recognize there is a greater story that you are trying to tell in these two chapters, and really in the book of Daniel itself. And so it's just my hope, it's been my prayer that I will be able to communicate that to this group and that that we will understand exactly what it is you're trying to say in your your meta narrative of scripture and the meta narrative here of Daniel uh, 7 and 8 and so just speak through me this morning Lord we pray this all in Jesus name amen everyone loves a backstory we all like the behind the scenes look into all sorts of things we're intrigued by alternate endings to movies or those blooper reels at the end of your favorite comedy Some of you may enjoy watching those shows about how things are made on the Discovery Channel. Uh, Years ago, Mike Rowe hosted a show called Dirty Jobs, where we got to see behind the scenes of some of the filthiest jobs. Now, it got a little repetitive after a while, but it did run for eight seasons. Uh, During COVID, when we were all at home, especially right at the very beginning, and we were staring at screens, ESPN released a 10-part docuseries about Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls called The Last Dance. And it was the most watched documentary on ESPN and so much of the country began to watch that for the few weeks as those series, those series of videos came out. Some of you will recognize the YouTube uh, group called Dude Perfect. And if you don't, I promise that your grandkids or your kids do know who they are. They released their own documentary. It was called Dude Perfect Backstage Pass about how their, their YouTube channel started, how their business grew. And that video has over 50 million views. We love to get a glimpse behind the scenes, no matter what the topic is. And as we move into Daniel 7, we're going to get a behind the scenes look into the kingdoms that will rise up between Daniel's day and the coming of the Messiah. And so what we saw from Nebuchadnezzar's dream was really an earthly view, how the earth views these kingdoms. Today in Daniel, we're going to see how God sees those kingdoms. We are going to receive a heavenly perspective of the future from Daniel's dreams and visions. Now, as we go through this, It's going to be strange. You're going to see some weird things, a lot of images that may be confusing, and we're going to hear descriptions that sound like a first grader drew this out on a piece of paper. Thankfully, the text does explain some of what we see and helps us understand what Daniel is trying to tell his original audience and tell us. But when you first read through it, it seems like things are just out of control. When I was a young young boy, young kid, probably seven years old, maybe even younger, I took my first driving lesson. So my grandfather had this truck. 
1980s Dodge. It was, uh, had a single cab with a camper shell on the back. And all my cousins, we would pile in the back of that when it was still legal or maybe illegal, I don't know. But we got in the back of his truck and, and grandpa and grandma would drive us to the McDonald's nearby. Well, one day I decided I want to drive grandpa's truck. It seems pretty easy. So I hopped in. They were messing around in the garage somewhere, and so I knew from watching him that you had to move that stick thing next to the steering wheel, that that would get things going. So I was able to get it into neutral, and it began to roll backwards. And for the first few seconds, it was exhilarating. I mean, I'm this little kid, and, and I'm driving Grandpa's truck, and it was awesome. And I knew part of driving his truck is you got to turn the steering wheel. So I started doing that, which just helped it roll even faster backwards. And as I'm doing that, I realize, I don't know how to stop this thing. <laughs> and about the time I realized this truck is out of control, so did my grandfather realize that his truck was rolling out of the driveway, and our eyes met. And for just a millisecond, <laughs> there was this look of concern in both our eyes. Well, as, as he began to process things, he realized, I need to run after the truck. Well, the back wheels hit that steeper part of the driveway, and it started to go even faster, and I had turned the wheel to the left, so the truck kind of veered off this direction, which gave me a perfect view through the driver's side window of my grandfather running and hollering at me. Thankfully, there wasn't a car behind his house. There was just a section of curb, and I ran into the curb, stopping my momentum. He caught up to the truck, opened the door, put it in park, and I'm not finishing the rest of the story. <laughs> it wasn't my proudest moment, but I drove Grandpa's truck. Some people, they read Daniel 7 and the following chapters, and they just will say, it feels like everything's out of control. It feels like it's just a runaway truck and, and I don't know what to do with it. And some people feel like that's the case in our world right now, that things are out of control. Maybe you feel like your life is out of control like that runaway truck and the more you try to get it under control, the, the further away the truck seems to get and some people believe that God is not involved in the circumstances of this world. As if he just put things in neutral and he's letting the world coast. And you need to know this morning that God is not and has never allowed the world to just coast. Even during some of the most, most horrid moments of history, which we will see some of those today in the text, even during those moments, God is still in control. We sometimes feel like a toddler is at the wheel, shaking things back and forth. But I want to encourage you today that when life seems out of control, when it's coasting away from you, you can fix your eyes on the ancient of days. Because he will always and forever be on his throne. Now, as we dive into this text that seems out of control, don't get distracted because distractions won't deliver you. Now, that encouragement can be applied not only to this text as we interpret it, but also to your life as well. We are easily distracted these days. We have devices in our pockets right now that is almost made to distract us. But as we move through these passages, I don't want you to get too distracted with the images that we see. I will talk about them. I will try to explain them as best that I can, but keep your focus on God. We're going to go a few years back from where we were last week. Belshazzar is king, but there's been no writing on the wall. 
And so Daniel 7.1, it says, Earlier, during the first year of King Belshazzar's reign in Babylon, Daniel had a dream and saw visions as he lay in his bed. He wrote down the dream, and this is what he saw. In my vision that night, I, Daniel, saw a great storm churning the surface of a great sea with strong winds blowing from every direction. Then four huge beasts came up out of the water, each different from the others. Now, these four beasts represent the same kingdoms that we saw in connection with the statue from Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2. And so remember that in Daniel chapter 2, that statue is a picture and a prophecy for the next 600 years. The four kingdoms that will arise, including Babylon, between the time of Daniel and the time of Christ coming. And so the first beast that we see is a lion with eagle's wings, but the wings have been torn off. Now, this verse beast represents Babylon. If you were to walk in the city of Babylon, if you could do that today, you would actually find statues of lions with wings. This is just what they had. It was sort of their symbol. Now, the wings would not have been pulled off. That probably represents Nebuchadnezzar's humbling that happened for seven years. This beast is given the heart or the mind of a human, it says in the text, which represents how God restores King Neb's mind, his mental state. He's no longer eating grass like a cow. He reigns again as king. The next beast looks like a bear, but it's kind of lopsided. One side was raised up higher than the other. This beast represents the Medo-Persian Empire. The reason it's lopsided is because the Medes had a very minor role to play in the empire. The, the Medes are the weaker side of the bear. The Persians are that stronger, higher side. Now, after this lopsided bear comes the next beast. It's a leopard with four wings. Now, if you found a leopard with four wings, you would have found an incredibly fast animal. And so that means this beast must represent the Greek empire, specifically Alexander the Great, because of how quickly he, he takes over the known world with such speed like a leopard with four wings. In less than 10 years, the Greeks have conquered more of the world than we've ever seen. But this beast also has four heads. When Alexander the Great passes away, his kingdom doesn't get passed down to one singular person in his family. It actually goes to four of his generals, and they take a portion of the kingdom. That weakens them to, a to such a degree that the fourth beast is able to overtake them. Now, the fourth beast, it doesn't look like an animal for whatever reason, but it does have teeth of iron. It reminds us of the iron legs from the statue in Daniel 2. So, of course, that means the fourth beast represents Rome. Now, this beast is strange looking. It's got 10 horns. Horns typically represented power or the ability to do damage. 10 is the number of completeness in the Bible. We're not 100% sure what these 10 horns mean. If you want to discuss that, come find me afterwards. I'd be happy to, to share the different views with you. But Daniel, while he's trying to figure out what these 10 horns mean, a little tiny horn pops up and it, it kind of kicks out three horns. And this one little horn begins to grow. Lots of viewpoints on what that little horn is. Some say, well, it's the Antichrist or a specific Roman emperor. There are some out there who think it's the Pope. Listen, we don't know for sure, but we do know this. Distractions won't deliver you. Don't get so distracted by all these images of beasts and horns that you forget what God is doing. 
Through Daniel's dream, God is perfectly predicting the future. He is describing how there will be four kingdoms that come to power. From that time period until the Messiah comes, the first coming of Christ was no accident. The church is not an accident. These kingdoms come to power not by happenstance. This is not an accident. The truck is not running out of control. God is at the wheel. I'm not going to sing a Carrie Underwood song about it, but you get what I'm saying, right? Here in Daniel 7, all authority and sovereignty is on display by our God because he is the one in control. You say, how, how can that be? During the Persian reign, there's a king, a man by the name of Cyrus. And Cyrus allows a remnant of Jews to return to Jerusalem so they can begin to rebuild the temple, rebuild the, the city itself. Jesus walks the streets of Jerusalem and he walks into the temple because of a king of Persia named Cyrus that God put in place. And I can prove that because Isaiah 45 verse 1 says it. This is what the Lord says to Cyrus, his anointed one whose right hand he will empower. God's doing all of this. God's in control of the whole situation. Doesn't always seem like it, but he is. Cyrus is described as the anointed one. After Cyrus, there's another king. That king allows a cupbearer by the name of Nehemiah to return to Jerusalem, and he starts to rebuild the walls of the city so it can be more protected. From the Persian Empire, we move to the Greek Empire. Well, how did God use the Greek Empire? Well, it was under the Greeks, under Alexander the Great, that we got a common language for all people known as Koine Greek. And that's what your New Testament was originally written in. It's what we study at Bible college to better understand the text. And I sure am glad that God allowed the Greeks to come into power so that we would have that language. After the third beast comes the fourth, the Roman Empire. And through the Roman Empire, all kinds of roads are built to all sorts of cities so the gospel can travel on those roads eventually as it goes out from Jerusalem. The Romans, the Romans they established a system of communication, a better system of education, again, allows for the spread of the gospel. And how would Christ be crucified if there weren't a people who used the cross? And so God allowed the Romans to come into power for those reasons. Galatians 4.4, it says, but when the right time came, the right time, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God knew when the right time would be because he orchestrated all of this. Church, do you see how God set all this in motion? Don't get distracted because distractions won't deliver you. But God can. And right in the middle of Daniel's dream, God reminds us of that very fact. In, in Daniel 7, 9, it says this, As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. This is the real throne 
This is the one who is truly sovereign. What an amazing moment for Daniel to be brought into this time to experience what this was like. A worship service like we can never even begin to imagine. There has never been a time when God was not fully in charge. Nothing surprises him. Nothing gets past him. He's not caught off guard by anything. His throne here is blazing fire. Why? Because he alone is worthy to judge. His throne has wheels. (laughs) It has wheels. Why does it have wheels? To communicate that the Ancient of Days is not stationary. He is not in just one place. He is omnipresent. Wherever his people are, there he is. And he doesn't even have to get out of his throne to be there. Fix your eyes on the ancient of days. Because he will always and forever be on his throne. Somebody should say amen to that, I think. I'm pretty sure. So then Daniel 7.13, we read this. In my vision at night, I looked. And there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Christ was coming into the world through the power, the might of the sovereign God who reigns over every nation, whether they know it or not, whether they realize it or not, he is in charge. I don't care what kingdoms rise. I don't care who gets elected president of this country or any other country. He rules and reigns, period. And the ultimate kingdom belongs to Christ. And scripture says that he will actually give that over to his holy people. Daniel 7, 17 says these four huge beasts represent four kingdoms that will arise from the earth, but in the end, the holy people of the Most High will be given the kingdom and they will rule forever and ever. The church is not an accident. In fact, you being here today is not an accident. This church on this piece of ground in this community is not an accident. It is the sovereignty of our God. His plan all along was was to empower a people who would be filled with, with mercy and grace and love and ministry and prayer and faith. And then he says, I will give you the kingdom and you go spread the word. You go share the good news. And in Daniel 7, 27, it says, then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be given to the holy people of the most high. His kingdom will last forever and his rulers will serve and obey him. So don't get distracted, church. Keep your eyes fixed on the Ancient of Days. Now, as we move into Daniel 8, we're going to go from the macro to the micro. We're going to zoom in a little bit, and what we're going to see in Daniel's vision in Daniel 8 is a closer view of what happens between the Persian Empire and the Greek Empire. So chapter 8 brings us an important reminder that every setback can be used for his glory. What we see unfolding in this chapter, I'll be honest, it seems pretty terrible. It seems like a setback for the people of God. And and it is, in a sense, Daniel has this dream. And and as he's dreaming, he realizes he's in Persia. That's where his dream takes place. Once again, animal images will be used here to describe the kingdoms between Daniel's day and the coming of the Messiah. Here's what Daniel 8.3 says. As I looked up, I saw a ram with two long horns standing beside the river. 
And one of the horns was longer than the other. And even though it had grown later than the other one, the, the ram butted everything out of its way to the west, to the north, to the south, and no one could stand against him or help his victims. He did as he pleased and became very great. So this ram represents, again, that Medo-Persian empire. It's just like the bear in Daniel 7. It's lopsided. One horn is longer than other. Right? The Persians are the bigger horn. The Medes are that smaller one because they're not as important in this alliance. Daniel goes on, Daniel 8, 5, he says, while I was watching, suddenly a, a male goat appeared from the west, crossing the land so swiftly that he didn't even touch the ground. And this goat, which had one very large horn between its eyes, headed toward the two-horned ram that I had seen standing beside the river, rushing at him in a rage. The goat charged furiously at the ram and struck him, breaking off both his horns. Now the ram was helpless, and the goat knocked him down and trampled him. No one could rescue the ram from the goat's power. We know that the goat is the Greek empire. And notice how the goat is descri described. It is swift. It comes suddenly appearing, not touching the ground. That is the speed of Alexander the Great as he conquers that known world so quickly. And in verse 8, we're told that the goat becomes very powerful, but at the height of its reign, the horn is broken off. Four horns grow in its place. It's those four generals under Alexander the Great, that take over the kingdom. Now, as you get into the second half of Daniel 8, Gabriel, the angel, shows up to help Daniel understand all this, to des describe to him and explain to him this dream. So in Daniel 8, 21, it says, the shaggy male goat represents the king of Greece. The large horn between his eyes represents the first king of that Greek empire, Alexander the Great. The four prominent horns that replace the one large horn show that the Greek empire will break into four kingdoms, but none as great as the first. At the end of their rule, when their sin is at its height, a fierce king, a master of intrigue, will rise to power. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. Remember that. He will cause a shocking amount of destruction and succeed in everything he does. He will destroy powerful leaders and devastate the holy people. He will be a master of deception and will become arrogant. He will destroy many without warning. He will even take on the prince of princes in battle. But he will be broken, though not by human power. Now, when we look back at history, it's pretty easy to figure out who this fierce king is. It is Antiochus Epiphanes. It's the year about 171 B.C. And you may be thinking, Ross, why are you telling me all this? Why all this history? Why is all this history in Scripture anyways? So that you might learn that he is in charge. So that you will see that even in some of the most hideous moments of history, when we say, this is a major setback for the people of God, God says, oh yeah, watch this. Because under Antiochus Epiphanes, we see some of the worst treatment of the nation of Israel. Antiochus has sometimes been called the Hitler of the Old Testament. When he enters Jerusalem, he, he immediately kills 80,000 Jews. He will skin people alive for not worshiping Zeus. He issued a coin with his image on it that says, Antiochus, God in the flesh. And Antiochus goes into the temple that the Jews have now rebuilt, and he sets up a statue in the Holy of Holies. And he says, you've got to worship this statue. And then he goes to the altar and he builds another altar on top of it. And on that altar, they sacrifice and they kill pigs, the unclean animals to the Jews. 
And then his soldiers brought in prostitutes. And the temple of God became a brothel. It is almost impossible to describe the offensiveness of all this to the Jews. It was complete and utter blasphemy against God. Why? Why would God allow this to happen? One of the things that Antiochus Epiphanes does, for whatever reason, he gets rid of all the idols in the kingdom. Every last one. Oh, he desecrates the temple and he makes them worship a God that doesn't even exist, but he gets rid of all the idols. And that's important because if Jesus had come into Palestine and there were idols everywhere, they may have looked at Jesus and said, oh, you're a God? Cool. Come right on in. We have a whole collection of gods. We'll build an altar for you too. We'll build an idol for you too. But because there were no idols, Jesus enters Palestine in a different way. God says, Daniel, I want you to know that there's going to be a man who brings abomination and desolation to the temple. But don't worry, Daniel. I'm going to handle him too. Out of nowhere, Antiochus gets this stomach virus and he goes insane and he dies. Just like Daniel 8 predicted, not by human hands. Now, Epiphanes means great one manifest. And probably to his face, they called him Epiphanes. But behind his back, they probably called him Antiochus Epimanes, which means the deluded and crazy one, because that's truly what he was. Church, do you understand how sovereign our God is? That he has been throughout history working in not only those who are evil, but in those who are faithful so that his, his will can be accomplished. Every setback can be used for the glory of God. Daniel 7 and 8 is proof of that. Will you let your setbacks be used for the glory of God? Will the mistakes that you make be things that you learn from and you move past? Or do you just let them fester like a, like a sore? Because we need to learn from our setbacks. He can use that for his glory. I came across some church bulletins that had a lot of uh, bloopers in them. Uh, these are actual mistakes made in church bulletins. I want to just share a few of them with you. The outreach committee has enlisted 25 visitors to make calls on people who are not afflicted with any church. <laughs> Hopefully the church is not an affliction to you. That would not be good. The next one, evening massage, 6 p.m. Probably supposed to be message. Yeah, letters are important here. This one's interesting. Ushers will eat latecomers. <laughs> Supposed to be seat latecomers. So now some of you coming in late, we're going to change our policies here. So <laughs> the third verse of blessed assurance will be sung without musical accomplishment. Probably supposed to be accompaniment, right? The choir will meet at the Larson house for fun and sinning. <laughs> you know, you, you miss that G and all of a sudden instead of singing, you're sinning. That's... Larson House. If your last name's Larson, I'm sorry. Um, this is my favorite. Thursday night potluck supper, prayer and medication to follow. <laughs> you know, mistakes happen, right? Setbacks occur. Sometimes it's our fault. Sometimes it's because of our own sin and our own selfish desires. And sometimes, guys, we are innocent. We are innocent and bad things just happen to us. Evil always looks to destroy anything, including itself. 
That's why all these kingdoms continue to overtake each other. Whatever setbacks might occur in your life, please know that God can and will use them for his glory. Romans 5.3 tells us that. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation and this hope will not lead us to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and he died for us sinners. These chapters in Daniel describe how God orchestrated the perfect timing for his son to come into the world. And even through major setbacks and attacks, God was glorified and his will was accomplished. The final thing I want you to see from these two chapters in Daniel is this. No matter who rules, God still reigns. In Daniel, there is this moment where he over hears a conversation with two angels and the angels are talking about this issue with Antiochus Epiphanes and and whether or not it will end here's what it says Daniel 8 13 then I heard two holy ones talking to each other one of them asked how long will the events of this vision last how long will the rebellion that causes desecration stop the daily sacrifices how long will the temple and heaven's army be trampled on and the other replied it will take 2300 evenings and mornings then the temple will be made right again. And there's a lot of talk about what does the 2300 mean? How, how do we do the math on that? I don't want you to get distracted by what that amount of time is. I want you to see that eventually the persecution comes to an end. Because no matter who rules, God still reigns. This conversation between these two angels got me thinking about another conversation that we get to overhear in Scripture it's in Revelation 6. In Revelation 6, there is this scroll, and there's seven seals on it. And the seals are being opened. And when the fifth seal is opened, Revelation 6, 9 says this, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. And they called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? And then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer. It's really a similar question that the angels ask all the way back in Daniel. How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord, until you step in? How long is this going to last? How long is this rebellion going to go on? How long, O Lord, until you come back and avenge our blood? And God gives them a robe. It represents righteousness, the righteousness he has bestowed upon them. And he says, I need you to wait just a little longer. We don't always like waiting, do we, church? Our modern-day Babylon does not like waiting. That's why we have fast food, fast lanes, fast passes, and fast internet. Because we don't like to wait. Waiting is not always easy, especially when evil is attacking. But no matter who rules, God still reigns. Isaiah 46, verses 9, says something incredible. This is God speaking to us. It says, remember the things I have done in the past. That's what we're doing today, church. For I alone am God. I am God and there is none like me. 
Only I can tell you the future before it even happens. That's what he did today. Everything I plan will come to pass, for I do whatever I wish. I will call a swift bird of prey from the east, a leader from a distant land to come and do my bidding. That's what it takes. That's what he'll do. I have said what I would do, and I will do it. Jesus was the Messiah who would come into this world, a world that had seen the lion, that had dealt with the bear. It had faced the leopard. The ram, the goat, all these powerful horns, all the world's kingdoms. But Jesus doesn't come with a horn. He comes as a little lamb. Now he allows himself to be gored by them. And by doing that, he died for our sins. And Satan thought he won. He thought he won. But through Christ's death and resurrection, Satan's power was broken. And the word of our testimony and the word of the gospel became mightier than all the horns of oppression, all the chains of captivity ever thought they could be. Getting to see behind the scenes, it may not, it may not keep you from pain, but I hope it might keep you from panic. The Ancient of Days is on his throne. And he rules over history and he rules in history. Don't get distracted by what you see behind the scenes. Know that every setback can be used for God's glory. And no matter who rules in any place, God still reigns. Therefore, what do we do? We fix our eyes on the ancient of days. Because he will always and forever be on his throne. Amen. Father, we thank you for that important reminder. Even in this year, an election year, we need these reminders. And so help us to, to rest easy, even in the midst of our setbacks, even in the midst of our pain, even in the midst of, of suffering, and in the midst of our joy and our happiness, in the midst of our, our, all the things that we may have that are considered a success, in all of that, help us to just keep our eyes fixed on you. Please don't let us get distracted by the things that, that are around us. When you are the main thing, you are the one who is sovereign. Thank you for this reminder today. Thank you for giving Daniel these dreams so that we could see your power, so that we could see how amazing you are to be able to predict the future in such a perfect way. It's incredible. Thank you for just reminding us of who you are today. Help us to not lose sight of that as we leave. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys.